The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. The next stop on the Star City Games Open Series is coming up soon in Richmond, Virginia. On February 4th and 5th, join hundreds of other players to battle it out in the standard legacy and draft opens and compete for the glory, the money, and the prestige of moving up the ranks in the SCG Players Club. With side events galore and live coverage courtesy of SCG Live, it'll be an action-packed weekend that you won't want to miss. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in Richmond, and we'll see you there. Welcome to episode 95 of Yo MTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco, and uh, today we've got a special guest uh, from one of my favorite podcasts in contention. We have Cranny, Matt Cranstuber. Welcome hey, to the how's show. How's it going? Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, you know, I've been listening to you guys since the beginning. You guys started in contention about the same time we started Yo MTG Taps, I think, right around, around Zendikar, right? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, you and and OMTG, I'm sorry, and uh, and A Team and us were like the original families of the podcast world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe man, Monday Night Magic probably has this beat by about three years. Yeah, but, yeah, but. they were definitely around for a while. And then Top Eight Magic, uh, you know, with with Flores and BDM, uh, were around for a while. But um, you know, they're they're a lot less consistent, I think. But. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, if you guys aren't listening to In Contention, and I, I've said this so many times on the podcast, but, you know, it bears repeating, In Contention is definitely one of my favorite podcasts, and it's, you know, one of the ones that I listen to as soon as I see there's a new episode, um, and so uh, you guys should definitely be listening to that, and uh, hopefully at some point we'll get Sam on, on Yo! MTG Taps at, uh, eventually, I definitely uh, would like to have Sam on as well, and, uh, and Ruben too. It's funny, I, I always think of In Contention as you and Sam, even though uh, Ruben's kind of, he was on the show, what, at the beginning, and then he's been on for like the last, you know, 10 or 15 episodes consistently, right? Yeah, he, uh, we, we started the podcast off, we called it Ruben Bressler's Little Urban Achievers, just as a joke, and he actually wasn't even on the show. <laughs> uh, and then he moved back to Columbus after he graduated from, uh, from college, and uh He's been on ever since, so he's he's an honorary. I shouldn't say honorary. He is the third host of the podcast. So right, yeah. For some reason, I guess because of you know listening from the beginning. For some reason, there was that chunk of time without him that makes me think it's just you and Sam and and occasionally Ruben. But yeah, he's he's definitely been consistent for uh, <laughs> for a number of of weeks or a number of episodes uh, recently. Anyway, so cool to. Uh, be cool to get those guys on eventually. Um, go ahead. What was were you say? Oh, nothing. Uh, actually, I was just going to comment that it's it's kind of funny when you get podcasts uh, that start to get up in the fifty and sixty episode range. You know, most of the startup podcasts are so awkward because uh, you don't really have your radio uh, presence yet. And you're not you're not really sure what your end goal is, and uh, so if you go back to listen to like early episodes, of what we have. 
It's awful. We're like sitting in a coffee shop, like outside. There's cars <laughs> driving by. Actually, it's very much in the style of uh, BDM and Flores, really. Yeah, um, they're still trying to get their uh, get a sense of things. <laughs> <laughs> they're just starting off now. Yeah, don't go listen to early episodes. It's awful. But uh, yeah, if you want, if you want to laugh and and listen to us, uh, you know, misevaluate cards like jace the mind sculptor then you know go for it <laughs> oh yeah it's i think that's kind of there's the value in going back and seeing uh kind of laughing at the way things even the way we evaluated cards uh even if we were like right now evaluating dark ascension cards and to go back a year from now or even six months from now and go oh we didn't even mention that card and you know this card that is a, a staple which mainly like delver of secrets even right now like that was a card that I thought looked cool, but I, I remember being like, well, I don't know if it's worth mentioning. And so, like, I don't even know if we mentioned it. Across every format and just make this huge dent. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, everybody's been talking about the uh, the Dungeon Geists from Dark Ascension, and I brought them up last week. And while I was editing, um, this is before I had heard anybody else talking about it, and I was editing, and Joe and I recorded for like an hour and a half, and I try to always keep the shows like no more than an hour and ten minutes and so I think I cut an entire chunk out where I talked about Dungeon Geists, and then I'm like, man, I should have left that part in because at least, you know, now that everybody's talking about it, I can be like, yeah, I, I, I saw that too. Yeah, I saw that. I was in, I was on the ground floor. <laughs> I was meta before it was meta. So exactly. I have that guy underlined uh, a couple of cards that I wanted to talk about uh, from the new set, and he's one that is just going to be huge. So I'm sure maybe you could just go back into what you liked about him uh, when we get to that part of the yeah def- definitely so this past weekend we had the pre-release um the dark ascension pre-release i didn't go matt you uh you ran a pre-release and you you got one draft in so uh why don't you tell us a little bit about that we could at least touch on it sure sure um i uh i work with a company from my hometown i'm from columbus ohio and uh, they're called Comic Town, and me and my buddy Mark's son, um, who's actually been on your show before, we um, work with them to do like single sales and just kind of um, you know store um, promotion and other things. So I spent most of my day behind a counter um, buying and selling cards, and uh, the the cards are just amazing. Like being able to actually see people build the decks, watch the sealed pools, and how different they are compared to. Uh, in a strat and watch these games play out was amazing. Um, I did only have a chance to get one draft in, um, but, uh, you know, it was enough that, you know, now that they've switched the order of the packs, it's just such a different world where, you know, before a new set's introduced, it really didn't change the landscape, especially when a second set came out of what the draft format looked like, because you would just be like, you know, like for instance, Ravnica, Ravnica, Guild Pact, didn't really feel much different than Ravnica, Ravnica, Ravnica. But if you were to go guild packed Ravnica, Ravnica, um, I'm, I'm sure that that the draft would play out completely different. And that's sort of what we're seeing here. Um, and uh, I'm really glad for the new formats. And uh, I mean, the cards are just amazing. The commons and uncommons in this set are among the best that we've uh, that we've seen in any second set ever. I mean, this, a lot of these are rare worthy almost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how good they are. So, um, you know, I I think that probably the the my most favorite mechanic that uh, has you know is out there is, is Undying is actually just amazing. Um, it plays out way way better than you think it would. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the access to the number of token producers is, you know, pretty amazing too. So if you, if you get a pool with intangible virtue, or if, you know, you open intangible virtue in the second pack, um, you, you know, if you picked up those lingering souls and the soldier makers in the first pack, you, you might have yourself a pretty, pretty good deck. So I'm really looking forward to grinding a bunch of, uh, drafts. We saved all of our, our prize packs, um, and we have a limited group that meets up every week and uh, we cube. And then when there's a, an actual set that's out to draft, we'll draft that. So I'm just, I can't wait to, to get more drafts in. Yeah. This set, uh, you mentioned the commons and uncommons, and that's something that I think has changed, you know, for, for people who may have, may not have been playing for very long, maybe even people who may have been playing for, you know, four or five years. Uh, I think, because I think that's kind of where it started. And you mentioned Ravnica, I feel like maybe around then is when the the they started to turn that corner and really make or put a lot of effort into designing strong commons and uncommons because it felt to me like in uh you know the early years the good cards were all rare and everything else was like it, they were like occasionally a few good commons and uncommons but the bulk of the commons and uncommons were exactly that they were just bulk the, nobody played you know uh, a ton of that stuff. It was it was kind of it's it's kind of uh, cool to see how things have changed. Where there are just so many not only playable but just uh, staple commons and uncommons in in sets recently. Yeah, I think uh, design and development really has a handle on. You know, you mentioned old sets. We, we don't really get that many sparksmiths anymore. Right. Or, Cards that are so prohibitive and uh, and such a such a I'll say a dumb pick that um, you know I think they really understand that you know they would never print that guy at common yeah uh, they may not even print him at uncommon that you know nowadays he'd probably be a rare or um, you know and and also since we've kind of pushed the power level we're allowed to see cards like strangle root guys at uncommon and faithless looting at common yeah. As uh, previously, those cards may have been like Geist. I think probably would have been a rare. Yeah, it, I, I thought it was rare in my head, you know. And I happened to notice. Oh wait, that's just uncommon. I, you know. <laughs> and he's good. Oh yeah. my, he's good. So, so what did you what did you end up drafting? Actually, uh, a lot of black cards. Um, okay. A lot of tragic slips, and uh, you know, it, it's funny. It's it's sort of like a self fulfilling prophecy, or I don't even know what you call, it, but basically. Um, someone was talking about how they could probably draft a deck that would have um, eight faithless lootings, and uh, so I was able to draft, you know, three or four of them, and um, a couple of the vampires that uh, that flip um, if you tap another vampire. And actually, my friend who did a draft, he had uh, six uh, tragic slips and three of those vampires, um, wow. and needless to say, he won that draft. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it definitely, um, I think black feels really strong. Um, green feels a little stronger. Um, I, I don't have as much experience with uh, with white so far. Obviously, I only have one draft under my belt, so I'm at this point, it's all you know academic. I'm just kind of <laughs> kind of grasping at straws. But uh, you know, I did listen to the limited resources set review, and you know, been kind of like reading up on articles, trying to get my brain around the format and uh you know it there's a lot of options out there so yeah i, I i'm kind of uh I'm, I'm pretty excited to to try to try this set in a limited environment but i i don't get a lot of opportunities to play limited I'm, i think i'm gonna have to just do it when it's uh when it's online 
Um, before we move on, I just want to mention something I meant to mention at the beginning of the show. My neighbor's getting some construction done, so if you guys hear saws and hammers and things in the background, that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to standard, you mentioned how strong uh, black seems in limited, and mono black seems to be a deck that a lot of people, well, pretty much every time a set comes out, people are wondering, is there a mono black deck? Yeah. And uh, I know you guys just talked about it on the latest in contention. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about it. Chapin uh, wrote up a deck list in one of his recent articles, uh, Mono Black Aggro. We have Gravecrawler. We have Gorolf's Messenger. Um, and, of course, we have Lash Rhythm and Phyrexian Obliterator. We've got Tragic Slip, uh, which, you know, just another great black removal spell. Um, so there's there seems like there is going to be a mono black aggro deck that's not infect. Um, but mono black control is something that, uh, yeah, it, it's, I want it to be there. And, uh, I, I just don't know if it is you guys are just kind of going off some of what you guys said on, on in contention. Um, you talked about the fact that there's no cabal coffers, Around like looking back at the classic kind of mono black control list, the one that I think of is back, you know, torment era mono oh. black control. Oh yeah, the golden days. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, it, mono black control was just kind of that. I mean, to me, when I think of mono black control, that's what I think of like 2002 era uh, Odyssey torment judgment, and I I still have my old deck put together i went actually and pulled it out because i i wanted to take a look at it <laughs> um, so like i'm looking through this deck and 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 i'm looking and it's it's kind of i don't know if uh i guess comparing to what we have now there are a lot of things that can kind of fill those same roles and uh and so i'm wondering did it like is it there or is it that the game has kind of progressed to a point where this deck wouldn't be good anymore? So, like, I'm looking. I have you know, four Duress, uh, three three or four Innocent Blood, uh, Chainer's Edict, Smother. I mean, we've got – Do we still have Duress, don't we? <laughs> we don't have Inquisition, right? But is Duress wasn't reprinted. Uh, no, we have Despise. Despise, that's it. Okay, so we've got Despise that's, you know, not as good. And Inquisition we, we, uh, we lost – but uh, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of good black removal right now. We still have Smother, don't we? That was in... Uh, that was in Zen Block. Was it? Wow. Man, it seems like nobody played that spell. <laughs> I know. It, I was so excited when it was ex- when it was spoiled, and I don't think I saw it in a single list. Yeah, and that's why I'm sitting here thinking, we, we have to still have that. Like, I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> gotta blame Titans for that, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, but we still have a lot of good black removal. We've got Go for the Throat. We've got uh, Geth's Verdict. We've got um, Doomblade. Doomblade, Tragic Slip. There's plenty of great black removal that would, you know, be – that could definitely kind of fill these roles. Chainer's Edict, obviously a flashback removal spell is great. But we've got – you know, I guess that's something that we we don't have, you know, a a removal spell that we can – uh, a black removal spell that we can flash back, but there seems like there's a lot of good black removal. And then, you know, this deck had Mutilate. Now, Black Sun Zenith obviously is not as good as uh, as Mutilate, but we've also got cards like uh, Ratchet Bomb that can help, you know, keep creatures uh, off the board. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got, what is that, uh, Life's Finale, you know, 
uh, it's, it's like we've got black sweepers, or black has access to sweepers, uh, and then we've got cards like Liliana, which we didn't have back then, uh, mm-hmm. that, that can kind of keep things going. Um, I was actually playing Di- Diabolic Tutor in this list, and uh, so you can find like, Mark Cabalcoffers, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, see, so that was really like that's what we really don't have is Cabalcoffers, but we've got a lot of other uh, a lot of other cards that could kind of like in standard now that could fill these these roles. We've got well. My win condition in this deck was corrupt and possibly a Mirari on, uh, you know, on board to copy the corrupt. We just had corrupt in M11. It's not in the in the set now, but we do have uh, we have consumed spirits, I think. right? Yeah, which is you know similar. At least it's it's a little bit more versatile, but it costs a little more. It's you know it costs uh, black and one and then X. So not- yeah, I think that deck, um, you know. If we were to port that directly into the standard environment now, uh, one of the problems that it, that it has is, one, it, it can't deal with Planeswalkers, um, and it really can't deal with, aside from Mutilate, decks that put more than one creature into play. Um, and, you know, when uh, I, I try to, to, to draw parallels to, like, a deck that would be very similar to Mono Black Control... Um, and it's actually my favorite deck in standard, which would be uh, Conley's winning list from uh, GP. The, oh yeah, uh, like the it was like black green ramp. Yeah, is yeah basically black green wolf run, and um, and and you mentioned it's funny uh, as you're going through listing the spells, you know it has mutilate. Well, his has black sun zenith. You know you have Chainer's edict, uh, and he has guest verdict. You have uh, innocent blood. He has doom blade. And instead of Cabal Coffers, it runs Rampant Growth and Birds of Paradise. So while the while the the deck um, you know picture has changed, yeah, a lot of things stay the same. You're still trying to get to a lot of mana to cast very big spells, all the while keeping your opponent off of their dorks. So, um, but you're right. If if we, I think if if Mono Black had a way to generate a lot of mana, you know, to either cast like giant ten point Consume Spirits. Um, or it had a way to effectively deal with planeswalkers. I think we would have a mono black control deck. Yeah. So I was trying to think. You know, uh, the one of the points you guys brought up is about all the loss of life that black favors over damage. Mm. Uh, consume spirit deals damage to target creature or player. So you could technically consume spirit a planeswalker if you needed to. That's good. Um, I'm just trying. I was trying to kind of work around that because that that is one major difference from uh, between then and now, where there's this entire new card type, and it's not, you know, uh, it, it's it's not insignificant to have to deal, or it's not uncommon to have to deal with planeswalkers, and uh, you know, I always used to joke, you know, just attack them, right? But if you're <laughs> playing mono black control, you might not really have that many creatures to attack with, but. Uh, yeah, I was. I did a search for uh, damage in black cards in standard just to see what I could find, um, and consume spirit was was one card, and then we had uh, Soren's vengeance. But if you're <laughs> if you're hitting a planeswalker for ten, <laughs> I mean you must be in Probably. some deep yeah. trouble. Yeah, <laughs> your priorities are a little messed up there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you. Vengeance would be one that man. Can you imagine Cabal coffers in the format? Like right. Hmm. Your deck would just probably be four of that, and 
a bunch of discard and, and creature removal, and you just Soren's Vengeance your opponent. You don't get the Morari yet, unfortunately, but right. you just play Soren if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that was that was kind of, uh, you know, we have Soren Markov, who, you know, like you said, like he can actually target po- opponent's life total becomes 10, so yeah, you can do that. Uh, he also does damage to target creature or player, so he can actually hit other planeswalkers. Mm, yeah, good point. Um, that's another card that came up under damage. And then of course, taste of blood came up, which, you know, I skipped that one, but <laughs> just <laughs> one damage to target player and you gain, it, it's kind of sucks that it doesn't do damage to creatures too. At least it would be a little more playable. I guess it would be very, uh, it would actually see a lot of play, I think, because it would be like a black gut shot, uh, right. in a way. I mean, it's not Phyrexian mana or anything, but gaining life could be relevant. Um, so, and, and then, you know, you mentioned about Mirari and Soren's Vengeance. There's not a lot in standard now that requires uh, that really rewards you for playing a lot of swamps. Basically, it's like Lash Rive that mm-hmm. I can think of that you'd want to play in a black deck with a ton of swamps. Um, most of the black cards want black mana. You know, a lot of black mana, like mm-hmm. Obliterator and Gorolf's Messenger, and obviously uh, Consumed Spirit. If you were going to go that that route, even Soren's Vengeance costs three black. Um, but what if, you know, if this were maybe, I guess, what if blue black control went in more of a direction, leaning heavy black and splashing blue for, uh, you know, for kind of some good blue cards, cards like ponder or thought scour, or, uh, you know, uh, obviously snapcaster mage that was snapcaster can kind of be the Mirari of, uh, of the deck you know, if you need it to be that, but it can also fill a role that Mirari never did in in being the uh, the way you flashback your you know your Neo Chainer's Edict, you know, flashback go for the throat or Doomblade or Geth's Verdict or something. So you actually, it, it's almost as if Snapcaster can really can be, be much better than what Mirari was for this deck, but can also fill that that kind of role in uh, a win condition, or at least uh, helping enable your win condition. I I don't know if it's I don't know if it's possible, but this is something I'd like to explore, I think, where you... Uh... I'd be surprised if you didn't see something like that. I mean, the mana fixing just got a lot better with the printing of Evolving Wilds. Yeah. Which means that, you know, uh, a lot of the wedge decks and even the two-color decks are going to have an extra fetch land uh, that, you know, when Zen Block rotated, we lost the Zen fetch lands, and that was a, that was a pretty big hit. So... Um, you know, ha- having access to that mana basically means that you're not going to have as many lands that come into play tapped. Right. Which is, uh, you know, when you're trying to hit black, 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 or four black, especially when you're playing fast lands, that's pretty important to have uh, to have your um, dark wa- or your catacombs come into play untapped. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, I've been playing blue black control since. Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of always playing some iteration of blue black control, but uh, I've been since Innistrad was uh, since since we had the rotation and Innistrad was released, I've been favoring blue black over any other deck, and I kind of think I want to maybe rebuild it to to see if I can basically build a mono black control deck that splashes blue rather than being kind of half blue half black. Um, and see see if I can get anywhere with it. But that's just one of the ideas I had. Um, what are some of the, the decks for standard that you are excited to play or excited to, to maybe – or cards you may be excited to brew around? Sure. 
Well, uh, Giraffe's Messenger is my favorite card in the set, but since we, we kind of already touched on mono black uh, control slash aggro, um, I'll go to my second favorite card, which is Faithless Looting. Um, is just an amazing card, uh, way above the power curve that I would have expected them to print this card. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a little bit of uh, fishbowling in the old Burning Vention shell, um, and a little bit of playtesting in the Grixis decks a la Chapin's uh, deck from the GP. Right. And it's just amazing how much uh, this card allows you to, I won't say like keep loose hands, but it really, it, it's like when you draw a preordain, you just always want to have the preordain. So it, unless you have no cards in your hand, this card is always going to do something good for you. And uh, the fact that it flashes back, um, you know, for the cost of four mana from playing it to flashing it back, you go through four cards. There's that's that's pretty powerful. So I'm really excited to be to be brewing with that card. Um, you know, Burning Vengeance also got the flash or the um, the enchantment that uh, uh, Ruben has named Learning Vengeance. <laughs> That uh, secrets of the dead is that yeah secret yeah uh, that whenever you play a, a card from your graveyard you can draw a card. I don't know that that's good enough. It might just be like sideboard worthy. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, the only part that kind of has me nervous is if people are going to be bringing grave crawlers back and uh, doing a lot of stuff with graveyards. You know, we did just have Graft Digger's Cage spoiled, and uh, you know, while it might not be the best card for standard, if Vengeance is a real deck, um, people will play that, and that just stops you pretty much dead in the water. Yeah, it completely wrecks any sort of uh, heavy graveyard deck. Um, you know, heavy flashback, or or even you know, you mentioned Grave Crawler. Um, let's let's talk about the Burning Vengeance deck. I know Ruben has uh, mentioned how he wants that's that's the deck he wants to build, um, and Secrets of the Dead. Now it looks, you know, my initial thought was this obviously goes right in a burning vengeance deck but um i sam black's article on star city uh last week did you did you happen to see that i didn't um he he talks about secrets of the dead being exactly what the deck doesn't need because it's already kind of it it doesn't really need to be drawing cards with it where it kind of gets bottlenecked is mana it's, mm. it's got plenty of spells to cast because it, you've got your hand to cast spells from and your graveyard. Um, so what you actually need is mana. So he was talking about how you know Altar of the Lost is actually the the perfect card for uh, for that deck. And Altar of the Lost is the the kind of soul ring for flashback. I, right, I, I right. call it that, but it costs three mana and enters a battlefield <laughs> tapped. It's nowhere near it's soul the, ring. It's the uh, Thran... Um, yeah, Thran Dynamo. Uh, kind Worn of. Power Stone. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worn Power Stone. Much better uh, analogy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I want to build... Well, I've, I've kind of been brewing Burning Vengeance sort of just on paper, and all my lists had had Secrets of the Dead there, not four copies. I've always, you know, maxed out at three. But, he, you know, that's a pretty good point where, you know, you, you think you need, you know, something that says draw a card on it for basically for free, you know, making all your flashback spells cantrip uh, seems like an obvious inclusion in any deck that has a lot of flashback spells. But, you know, maybe maybe Sam has a point. Um, you know, what did, did you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I I would think that the right number would be 
two to three. Uh, at least that's what we've been kind of throwing around. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would I would probably agree. I, I'm leaning more toward like uh, Grixis Chapin as opposed to Burning Vengeance Chapin, uh, Burning Vengeance Grixis. Right, right. Um, mostly because like you know you're you're dead, pretty much dead to any enchantment removal or anything like that. I I just I don't know. I guess I, I don't have as much input on that one as I do on the Grixis deck. Um, just because I, I'm not really good at playing those kinds of decks where, um, I don't know, maybe I just don't, I don't have the heart of the cards for a deck like Burning Vengeance because I'm, I'm almost the guy that almost always has the four Burning Vengeance on the board and no cards to flashback, <laughs> have, you know, three Desperate Ravings in my graveyard, but no Burning Vengeance in sight or, you know, so I, I have a, I have a little bit more trouble playing those kinds of decks, um, I'll say more. I don't know if there there are more variants with them, um, but uh, yeah, if, it, it, I just feel like you're so dead in the water if you don't have them. That having that extra enchantment that lets you get a little bit more value to your flashback spells seems like it's it's got to be right in some way. But uh, you know, I, I just have to go and check out his article and see what he has to say about it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. It's it's like uh, uh, yeah, I never played Astral Slide Lightning Rift back in the day. Uh, but uh, you know, it, I agree. It's it's almost something feels wrong about uh, well when you're in a situation where you've got either you don't have your namesake card or you do and it's not doing anything. <laughs> it's it's kind of frustrating. I always want to play decks that are kind of consistent all around, and you know, if a card's not doing anything right now in my hand as soon as they play a creature i can you know kill it or something yeah just because they have no creatures on the board and i have removal spells that's not a bad situation to be in right i'm um, actually drawing the comparison to the to uh astral slide and lightning rift is actually really interesting because while like right now we're kind of in the zone of okay well it's a burning vengeance deck mm-hmm. well, if you remember back to the astral slide decks there were a lot of iterations of that deck to the point where it, it went to – you could play blue-white and play like Scrivener and slide your Scrivener out over and over and get counter spells and te- uh, uh, tethering something or other. Um, you know, that we may find that at the end of this block, maybe we're not playing Burning Vengeance at all. Maybe we're just playing, uh, you know, the draw enchantments. Right, Secrets of the Dead. Yeah, secret, sorry. I, I, <laughs> That's all right. The Dead. Um, and – and, you know, maybe we're just using it to draw a bunch of cards. Maybe a Conflagrate or a Stormbind or something gets printed that, you know, makes it so that you don't need to have Burning Vengeance. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it remains to be seen um, also what the, what the format looks like. If it's, if it's very heavy on control-y sort of cards, like I would definitely want to have that card in my deck. If it's a very fast format, then maybe, maybe it's just not worth, worth having that card because it's just too cute. Yeah. So, uh, so, you, you mentioned Grixis. That was actually the next deck here on my list, and that's something I'm kind of uh, itching to explore that as well. So, what, what, what do you think are the, uh, the kind of the updates to Chapin's Grixis list after Dark Ascension? Well, I would be very surprised if we didn't see some number of Dungeon Guys um, get in the mix. Uh, you know, Olivia does a really good job of killing uh, tokens, um, but it doesn't do a good job of taking care of like Titans and other problematic creatures like that. Depends uh, on how much mana you have. <laughs> yes, I guess if you have 12 mana, which this does does get to 12 mana often. Yeah, um, 
Olivia is a lot scarier. I I had I was just playing uh, against a friend of mine, uh, and he had Olivia in play, and I'm like, I have consecrated Sphinx and Grave Titan, and he's got Olivia, and I'm actually I've you know I still win the game, but I was just like, whoa, this looks ba- this is bad. <laughs> I need to get rid of that Olivia. I have like Go for the Throat in my hand, or not Go for the Throat. I had Doomblade in my hand, and I'm like, oh no, and then I draw a Snapcaster, and I have Doomblade in my graveyard too. I'm like, oh come on, <laughs> where's my Go for the Throat? I ended up having to use. Uh, Twisted like double twisted image and blocker or something or, or get her to actually that's what it was I think I uh, I offered up a uh, a situation where I got him to block with Olivia and then had to play uh, did I say twisted image I meant um uh, ring flesh I don't know what I was thinking twisted image <laughs> um, yeah ring flesh and then flashback ring flesh to to kill the Olivia but yeah she's she's pretty scary even against some of the the bigger guys because of the threat of stealing them. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say Geist might just be a card that whether it, maybe it's not in the main deck. I don't know that it's better than Olivia, but any blue based control deck can certainly take advantage of that guy to come out and stop an onslaught from, you know, an early uh, guy wearing a piece of equipment because really nothing has protection from blue because no one's playing sort of body of mine. So he could come out pretty handily and lock down uh, a Delver. Um, he can also block and trade with the Delver, which is is relevant, you know, because let's be honest, Delver's probably the best deck in the format right now. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, we we haven't really seen Dark Ascension make any ripples because it's not out yet. You know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of theorizing on uh, on what the the new format's going to look like, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of Seachrome coasts. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's uh, that's pretty accurate. Uh, now you mentioned Dungeon Geist, and I know I was saying earlier how I had—I think I cut it out of last week's episode. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, but Dungeon <laughs> Geist, for those of you who may not remember what it does, uh, it's a blue, blue, and two for a three-three flyer. That when it comes into play, uh, it's uh, it taps target creature, and that creature doesn't untap until it doesn't untap until you don't have Dungeon Geist, right? Until Dungeon Geist is is uh, as long as Dungeon Geist remains in play. I don't have it right in front of me. Yeah, but, you got it. So just to uh, – it just – I'm, I'm going to look it up just so I can get the exact wording because uh, I think – okay, so it's not as if it just untaps as soon as they get rid of Dungeon Geist. It untaps during their normal untap step after the Dungeon Geist is no longer in play. Right. All right. I just, just wanted to make sure there wasn't – you know, I, I wasn't misunderstanding it. But, you know, I compared it to kind of a blue Fiend Hunter and, of course, the obvious one, Faceless Butcher, didn't occur to me. But, yeah, it's uh, – it's it's similar to that where you know fiend hunter was the same kind of thing where you uh you know you remove something and as long as uh as long as a fiend hunter's around you you exile it or it's exiled fiend hunter is pretty much a white faceless butcher <laughs> so right, right. uh you know we've kind of got a long line of these sort of cards over the years um but yeah i i you know three three flyers th- th- what i think joe and i said about this uh was that it's a card that would have been, you know, uh, an all-star in blue decks of old. You know, a 3-3 flyer that kind of removes a creature would have been incredible. Uh, you know, now I don't know if it's, you know, I, I don't know how much play it sees, but I'm glad that people are talking about it. Maybe it's it's better than, uh, or maybe it is as good as I thought it, it would have been in the past. So. Yep. I, I was just going to say, without Lightning Bolt in the format, um, there's not a lot of spells that, uh, you know, obviously a Vapor Snag is probably the best removal in the format right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
people are 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 playing dismember but not nearly as much as they were like six months ago um so you know like i'm looking at the the grixis deck it has like two or three main deck ways to deal with it and a few of them are blacks on zenith um you know that's that says a lot to to how much damage that guy could do over the course of the game i mean they're probably not going to be able to stick a liliana um because you know you just attack and basically kill it right Uh, you know, your Titans aren't really going to be able to do a lot. I guess an Inferno Titan can come in and, and dome it, which is, I guess, uh, probably not the, the best for it. But, you know, if we see, I, I think we probably see it more in the in the tempo decks mm-hmm. as a way to force in the extra damage and to just add another flyer to the board that you can, you know, suit up with a sort of warm piece and just, you know, kill your opponent. Right. Um, and in... You know, like I said, I think the fact that it that it does uh, shut down a guy that's wearing a sword is definitely something to be, you know, is notable. Yeah, I think this guy should have hexproof. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, that's just greedy. Yeah, that's that's a bit much. But you know, it seems like they're just throwing hexproof everywhere right now. So <laughs> I wish it would have landed on this guy. Even if he would have cost like one more or something, it would have been kind of cool to see. What if he would have cost like blue, 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 and two? And had hexproof or something that would have been kind of interesting, or yeah. even shroud. But they're not even they're not even using shroud anymore. No, uh, I thought read the other day. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I thought I saw a tweet from um, Aaron Forsyth or somebody basically saying that we don't know so much about this hexproof stuff. Hmm. Uh, I'd have to dig it up. I, I I could just be totally lying here, but I, I could have sworn I saw a retweet or a, uh, something on Twitter about yeah. uh, how. You know, people have been complaining a lot about uh, having Invisible Stalker and being killed by a Butcher's Cleaver. Mm-hmm. It's actually just one of the most shameful ways to die ever. Um, it, it's not It's not fun. It uh, doesn't feel like magic when your opponent is just like, turn two, Invisible Stalker, turn three, Cleaver, attack, 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 you're dead. Um, and uh, people are finding out very quickly, um, you know, ever since, you know, Hexproof was, was introduced, that Hexproof is a very, very good ability. Um, now, whether that means that they won't be putting as, as, on a, as many commons, uh, maybe just keeping it to rares or, or maybe even, you know, guys that they would normally give Hexproof, maybe they'll find some sort of like uh, illusionary clause, you know, like Phantasmal Image, like if it's the target of your own spell ability, you kill it, or I, I'm not really sure i but i thought that getting rid of shroud really kind of messed up design space i think yeah i thought shroud was kind of neat because it had this tension there where you you know i can't or you can't you know hit my guy but i can't equip him or i can't pump him i can't do anything either just you know I, i thought that was kind of a cool uh kind of drawback to what seems like uh an all all positive ability so Definitely. I mean, hexproof was great and all. Like, I, I mean, it's cool that they gave it a keyword. The troll shroud. They gave, you know, they gave it a keyword. But uh, I think it was, it was a lot cooler when it was kind of limited to trolls. And maybe they should have just left, left it as like a feature of, of trolls, like as a creature type, and rather than kind of putting it on, you know, everything. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to. Uh, I, I don't know why they really did that. I think it may have been a little bit too much, but I guess we'll see. I, I just looked at uh, at Aaron Forsythe's Twitter about, all the way back to like January nineteenth, and I didn't see the word hexproof in there. I just you know uh, control yeah, F. I probably am, am imagining it, <laughs> or, or maybe something. just somebody else said it. You know, who yeah, knows? probably. 
Um, you know, the, the, the thing about Hexproof is, uh, you know, outside of Limited, where it's obviously extremely good there, especially with equipment, you know, the best deck in the format right now is running up to eight guys with Hexproof and then, you know, sort of Warm Peace or sort of Feast and Famine. Or Rune Chanter's um, Pike. <laughs> or Rune Chanter's Pike, yeah, exactly. Anything, yeah. That's a real strategy that a lot of decks, you know, unless you're running Wrath of Gods, what, I mean, what are you going to do? You you know, you're not getting in front of an invisible stalker. Um, you know, if Geist is is suited up, you're probably going to take ten damage before you're able to to deal with it. And you know, that's why that deck is is so great right now. Um, you know, especially when it's backed up with counter magic. Um, you know, it's it 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 has grown into. It, it's funny. Sam actually drew up a parallel where he said that standard was really really good for. Um, a long time because people couldn't break the format. You know, people couldn't really wrap their brain around what was the best deck. Um, you know, what, uh, you know, we had like Wolf Runs kind of hanging out there in all its iterations. Illusions had its thing going on, but it was beatable. And, uh, you know, in these, in, in other, you know, random fringe decks, you know, Grixis and Burning Vengeance and whatnot. But really now it, it's pretty plain to see if you go to any big tournament, you're going to see a lot of white-blue dual lands on the board. You're going to see a lot of Delvers. Um, so I think it's now now to the point where you know the format's been solved uh, in, in great timing, though, right? Because we just got this new set. Right, exactly. You know, with a, with a number of new archetypes that, uh, you know, either existed before and weren't really quite there or had never existed, you know, to begin with. Uh, so I, I, I'm super excited to be brewing right now. Um, you know, wide, wide open format, I think. Yeah. I don't really remember a better timed kind of expansion where, you know, I, I, I used the phrase, you know, is standard getting stale describing our last episode. And, um, we had, you know, somebody comment on the episode saying, you know, what do you mean it's stale? You know, it's not stale. And I was, I responded with maybe stale is the wrong word to use, but solved is probably the correct word to use. And if it were to continue like this without a new set to kind of freshen things up, I think uh, I think it would be to the point where people were sick of it, mm-hmm. um, sick of seeing so much Delver. And now at least we have the opportunity to hopefully uh, mix things up a little bit. Now, I don't know. Delver may still end up being the best deck, but – at least we're going to have some time where that's a question mm-hmm. and maybe by the time it's it's determined that yes Dover still is the best we have another set about to come out and uh, yeah right right so let's hope that's not the case uh you know let's hope Mr. Soren Lord of Innistrad you know changes that whole uh that whole perspective because there's a lot of pros talking about tokens yeah that listen you're you're like right on the same wavelength with me here cuz the tokens <laughs> is the next deck on my list here uh, and you know i'm there's kind of a uh two opinions i think there's people who think tokens is going to be pretty scary and other people who just say i'll just play ratchet bomb <laughs> you know right. but right. I, you know personally i i'm kind of uh wondering if tokens is just going to be ridiculous there are we do have ratchet bomb as a safety valve but i think uh a lot of players you know are pretty aware of not overextending and being able to tokens has just an ability or a way of or theoretically has a way of just kind of uh recovering from any sort of wrath effect pretty easily just something like midnight haunting lingering souls all these cards that uh you know just hold those in your hand okay so you used your ratchet bomb 
And I'll play these. And oh, I happen to also have two Soren emblems right now. So, you know, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. You know, I may have a completely empty board, but I have, you know, I use Soren's emblem or I got Soren's em- emblem twice. And then I just play something like Lingering Souls or Midnight Haunting or anything that produces a couple of guys. And you're right back where you were, you know, right back in the same situation after having used your rat- ratchet bomb. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, so it's it actually seems sort of scary. Um, and, of course, we have – we do have Curse of Death's Hold, but that uh, – and I think that's going to see a lot of play and I think that's going to be important. But it also seems like you may be so low on life by the time you get that curse that it may be kind of too little too late. Exactly. Uh, that's actually something that, uh, like Ari Lax has been saying, isn't really the the solution to the tokens. Just for that reason, that you know, by let's say let's say uh, uh, optimistically, you can have it out on turn four. You know, sure, if you're on the play, you know, and your opponent has no anthem effects out, you're going to wipe the board. Um, but um, a lot of these lists, especially like if you want just like this, the most stock basic. Tokens list, PV, I think, had a, had a really good um, list, which is, you know, 12 Anthem effects and all the token producers and a little bit of removal and some land, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty pretty basic, but, you know, it, it gets the job done. And I think especially if you're playing with, you know, Intangible Virtue is one of the best Anthem effects that's ever come out. Um, if you've never played with it in Limited or in Constructed, um, it's an, it's a powerhouse. You know, your guys having Vigilance is humongous, um, just, you know, especially if you're trying to, if, if you're, if you're playing in like a mirror situation or against another aggro deck or against a card like Gideon, like it just invalidates so many strategies. And for two mana, it's the best card in the deck, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little, that, that's another thing that makes the curse pretty scary or, you know, it's, it's scary to, to rely on something like the curse where you're like, okay, so your first intangible virtue just that just negates my first curse and your second anthem effect, you know, it, it just makes all my curse. It just seems like I need to get two curses just to have things back on, uh, you know, to deal with each of your anthem effects. All the anthem effects cost, you know, less than half as much as, uh, as the curse. It just seems like, uh, an uphill battle. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, it, you get cards in the mix that, uh, destroy enchantments like if they were playing um there's not there's no real good disenchant but there's a uh i'm sorry joey this is the second time i've done this there's the disenchant guy that's a 2-2 um he's not quite ronom unicorn or coming of ancient law but uh, you you could potentially see token decks just start playing a couple of those guys in the main deck if if curse becomes a real card right and it doesn't die unless you have two curses on the board so I can't remember the name either, but I know I know what you're Such talking about. Such a fringe, about. like it was just like a limited card from Innistrad. It's you know it's not very good, but uh, you know I definitely could see it getting in there for some for some damage too. Um, and, and just the the token producers now we now have a two drop token producer uh, uh, raise the alarm as it were. Mm-hmm. That's you know that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's humongous if you're looking to resolve in, uh, the Lord of Innistrad on turn four, and then you've already got four guys on the board, that presents a pretty pretty quick clock, um, you know, and, and especially since you're playing 12 Anthems. And, you know, and some lists are running Micaeus and some are running Equipment. I mean, there's so many configurations. There's so many ways you could build it that, uh, 
it would be impossible for this deck not to exist, you know? Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty much just dropped in our laps. And for those, you know, the people that want to play this kind of deck, it's it's right there. Um, one of the cards that Conley was playing in his, uh, you know, in his GP winning list was Glissa the Trader, and uh, I I kind of wonder, you know, I'm trying to just think. All right, Ratchet Bomb. If I'm going to have to, you know, if I'm going to have to be playing so many Ratchet Bombs, I need ways to get it back with like Sun Titan or you know Glissa. Um, so you know, maybe maybe uh, Glissa starts to see more play as. Uh, as Ratchet Bomb becomes more necessary, uh, that's a fringe kind of example, but just trying to trying to think along all uh, in all directions here. Uh, kind of afraid of tokens being. Well, you know, you, I mean, that's a great deck to bring up because that that deck was the you know a very good choice for the GP because there was a lot of white blue, and going into a blind metagame, that I would take that exact seventy five you know plus or minus a few cards from Dark Ascension. To a tournament, if I expected a lot of token decks, because it is it is good against those decks. Yeah, it's uh, you know we we brought up Evolving Wilds earlier, and uh, I you know we already had some four and five color control lists doing pretty well with uh, Michael Jacob and Jerry Thompson playing those kind of decks, and now with Evolving Wilds, uh, you know I wonder if there's a a possibility of some sort of five color control list that can. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know what direction it would obviously obviously have to favor certain colors over others. But mm. um, you know, Gliss is a great green sun zenith target. Uh, if for some reason you happen to be playing, you know, more green creatures or, or something, I, I don't know what exact direction. It, it's almost like I want to be playing. I want to be playing blue spells. I want to play Snapcaster and counter spells. I want to play. Uh, I want to play black removal spells, but I also want to play ancient grudge and ray of revelation, you know? (laughs) So it's just Just all together, Joe. You're right. Fine. Right. And, and, and 20 evolving wilds, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like, I want access to all these and I guess I wonder if evolving wilds will allow us to stretch that far. Um, I I don't know, but you know, it's, it's something I was, you know, just wondering about, um, but maybe we should just shoot a, a message over to Chapin and see if he's got anything brewing. I mean, if anybody's got something in the five color area, it would be that guy for sure. Yeah. Uh, he actually just, uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking, Chapin wrote an article today about uh, new decks for, for standard, or I don't know if he wrote it today, but it was published today. <laughs> um, uh, it's Wednesday by the way. Uh, so Chapin's Wednesday article, and um, I didn't actually get a chance to read the entire thing yet, but I did start, and I, I'm just—I I didn't see any mention of five-color control yet, and just kind of breezing through it. I don't see one at this point. Uh, it for Hawaii, he may it? be saving it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and uh, you know that's a good point. We have Pro Tour Dark Ascension coming up. What is it? It's a next weekend. The the yeah the eleventh right that the weekend yep. of. Uh, the same weekend as Star City, Cincinnati, right? Which you're, you'll be at. I'll correct? be doing commentary there. You'll be there, right? I will be there. It's in your backyard, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half down the road. I It would be a crime not to go. You have a really big backyard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm uh, really, really looking forward to actually meeting you in person after, uh, you know, listening to you on a podcast for two years. Um, Likewise. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we have Pro Tour Dark Ascension coming up. And that'll be 
you know, I'm really excited to see what happens there because that, you know, like you said, he's probably got a, a control deck in his back pocket that he's not, he doesn't necessarily want to put out there, uh, you know, a week and a half before the Pro Tour. Um, whether or not it's five color or four color or Grixis, that, that that's where my money would be. Probably favoring the Grixis, but I could see him stretching to uh, to four and potentially five colors. But uh, I can't wait to see what he does there. Um, oh, yeah. I, this this I, it's going to be such an amazing weekend for Magic. Actually, just this year in general, is there's so much going on. It's such a good time to be involved in the game. Yeah, you can pretty much like saturate yourself in Magic content you know every day of the week there's you know so many articles on on multiple websites and then you know if you feel like listening to something because you're at work and you can't read while you're doing it you're doing something at work you can listen to podcasts or you know you want to watch videos you've got uh scg live archives and you know uh magic tv and you know all kinds of just content everywhere it's nuts and then every weekend you can watch tournaments live gps and SCG Live and, you know... It's like creating, like, a whole new subculture, too. Like, when when uh, when there's Pro Tour Top 8s, which uh, the coverage is getting a little better, so we can actually watch a little more of it. Yeah. We get together and have Pro Tour parties. You know, like, we'll, we'll watch the Top 8 and just, like, you know, hang out and eat pizza and, you know, grind moto or whatever. And, like, that's insane. Like, I, I love that coverage is... To a point now where, like, I, I watch Star City live pretty pretty much religiously. I usually go into uh, work on Sunday. There's nobody in the office, and so I put it up on one monitor, and I'm working the other monitor. And I, I mean, I, it's almost like my I don't watch a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I always uh, parallel it to, to my wife. I tell her that it's like my football, right? Because she's always like, "Well, you got to turn off, you got to turn off Magic, you know, because it's time to do whatever." And I just always kind of chuckle to myself. I'm like, "Man, this is." <laughs> ad that i can you know at any time just get sucked into to watching a game and like and it's just to me it's just as exciting like i'm i'm pumping my fists and and you know yelling like i watched the battle of wits where where kenny mayer uh you know they, they show and tell and and he puts in the battle uh, battle of wits and his opponent's just like what right you know that just like scream at the tv like this is this is incredible or even going back and watching um the match between uh, Nasif and Chapin, the Dragonstorm mirror, and just yeah. like that, and just like ah, it's, this is so cool. And like to actually get an adrenaline rush from a card game is a testament to like how much this game is just like how how reaching it is and how great it is. You know, absolutely. It, those are like there's just so much amazing, uh, so many amazing moments already on video. And that was looking back at that, that was in an era when pretty much the only video content uh, of games was pro tours mm-hmm. uh, so you know we've we've got car uh games or matches like bob maher versus brian davis in 1999 that is just my all-time favorite i've mentioned <laughs> it so many times but i've watched it so many times I, I even burned it to a dvd because i wanted to be able to just watch it on on tv <laughs> on my television because i'm like i'm sick of doing this on the computer i'm gonna watch it on my tv um but <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really hope, and I don't know if this is the case. I don't know how, you know, how well Wizards kind of archived things, but it would be fantastic if they could release better quality versions of some of these videos because you go back, that one actually in particular is better quality than some of uh, some of even the more recent years because I think they didn't know how to compress it. 
back sure. then. So it was, it's actually very, you know, pretty good quality because they just didn't, they didn't compress it. And, uh, but then they started getting to the point where they're compressing the video so much that now looking at it, if you want to watch it in its native resolution, it's like, you know, a three inch box on your computer screen <laughs> and it's kind of tough to really look at. So I really hope they archive some of that video, uh, and, and can release it. You know, I would pay for, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, video collection. I, I don't know if I even, love a box set. Right. Oh, if wizard said that I would jump, I know a bunch of players would be like, Oh dude, I would love to have like the pro tour archives from 19, 19- 96 to right, yeah. 2006, which just be so cool. Or even just if, if they put it up online somewhere in high quality and, uh, and, and pay, it was pay to access it. You just pay for some sort of access to their archives. Like and, iTunes. Yeah. I, or yeah, anything like that. Cause everything seems to be going digital at this point. I don't even, I don't have a Blu-ray player and I'm, I'm, I hesitate to buy one because I feel like they're going to be obsolete Soon too. I mean, I've I don't even buy DVDs anymore. I just watch everything on Netflix or on the internet, you know, on uh, Hulu or something. But right, right. Um, yeah. So like, I, I'd like for Wizards to do that. I don't know if that's something they ever plan on doing, but I, I just hope they have better quality archives. But either way, there's so much content out there. You know, Star City's doing it with the SCG Live stuff and archiving it all, so you can go back and watch. You know any number of matches. It's cool too to be able to be like, oh, I saw this this one match. Just go, you know, tell somebody go watch it. It's it's right here. Uh, you know, look up Star City Cincinnati 2012 and watch this awesome, you know, mono black control deck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so I guess on that note, uh, what do you what do you predict this weekend? We've got Richmond, um, and next weekend is Cincinnati. So we've got. You know the first first two weeks of a fresh format with Dark Ascension being legal. Um, anything you expect to see, or what would you what would you play if you were playing this weekend? Well, I probably uh, I'll be boring. I would I would probably take Connolly's deck. As I said, I think that it's probably the best uh, position deck for um, this make believe metagame that we think is going to exist. Uh, it, it also remains to be seen how many people are going to be able to get a hold of Soren. There may be availability issues. Right. Um, and we might not see as, ma- as many black-white tokens decks. Um, as far as if I was going to say what is going to do well, I still think um, until the set gets its legs and people realize you know, what cards are good, um, I think we're going to see a lot of white base decks at the top. We may see Thalia make a showing. Oh, yeah. Um, which we didn't really talk as much about her. We actually didn't even talk about her on, on our podcast as much. But I could definitely see the human stacks playing um, a few copies of, of Thalia to shut down, um, you know, like an early Zenith or removal spell or stop your opponent from playing his sword and equipping and, and other such things. So um, what, I, what about you? What do you, what do you expect to see? Well, uh, just that you mentioned uh, Thalia, I just wanted to touch on that because even Chapin, I think, said something in his article Monday about uh, there's there's probably an iteration of the tokens deck that is just basically skewed towards humans or the line between a humans deck and a tokens deck may actually not be all that, uh, you know, all, all that defined, I guess. Sure. So, uh, but yeah, Thal- Thalia making all the, uh, the non-creature spells cost one more. That could definitely make an impact. the The thing about that is, or at least in a tokens deck, it, it might not be as good because you're 
hin- uh, you're hindering yourself. You're right. right. <laughs> you're, you know, you're lingering souls and midnight hauntings and all those. Um, but yeah, I definitely expect to see people just going, I'm going to play the Delver deck from last week, maybe with some, uh, some thought scours or something in there, you know, a, a couple of, maybe a couple of new cards, but mainly just the, the typical Delver list trying to hinge on the availability or trying to t- capitalize on the availability issues that, uh, that, you know, that you mentioned. Um, I, it's so hard to, to predict, uh, these early metagames, which is actually what makes it difficult for control decks to really thrive. Um, so I kind of expect to, to not see a control deck this weekend, maybe next weekend, unless somebody kind of figures out and somebody just kind of lucks into the, uh, into predicting the metagame accurately. But I still, you know, that said, I think I'd still show up with either blue, black or Grixis control, um, and just try to, you know, prey on, on Delver lists and be prepared for people trying to play tokens because it is the most obvious deck out of Dark Ascension. Yeah, yeah maybe just load up on the Zeniths and, and hope for the best. Right, Zeniths and Ratchet Bombs, basically. Ratchet Bomb, it, it definitely is, is uh, it was more sideboard, uh, you know, half sideboard, half main deck. I think now more than ever, it's, you know, three or four in the main deck without question. Yeah, I think it's got going to kind of increase like what I'd probably do if I were, uh, you know, if I were bringing it this weekend, I'd maybe put one or two main and, uh, and then have another one or two in the sideboard just so that I could be prepared in case, uh, you know, somebody did manage to get all the tokens, all the tokens. Um, <laughs> but you know, something like, uh, Grixis does have access to whip flare, which, you know, could definitely help things uh help keep the board clear until you can get a curse into play and uh you know find your ratchet bomb so that's that's one of the things i think it makes grixis so strong because there are there's there's non-white wrath effects available you know where there used to not really be that many uh effects that could really clear the board uh that weren't wrath of god right right we have uh, we have a few more minutes, and I wanted to touch on legacy a little bit. Um, not anything specific, but it was a question that was brought up in the comments of our last episode, and uh, I thought you might be a good person to discuss it with. I know you uh, you're you're a big legacy fan. Uh, I'm a nut, yeah. Um, so a uh, guy Richard Laurie uh, commented, and he was saying he thinks legacy is stale. He thinks there's and just trying to paraphrase his comment that there's over 40 different archetypes and all of them very capable of winning. Um, but he feels like legacy lost its diversity because everyone's kind of net decking. And, um, and, and I think he makes a good point because of the star city open series, which made legacy so much more popular and kind of really put a lot of, uh, a, a lot of power behind the legacy format, legacy as a format made it a lot more popular, uh, and just really put the spotlight on it. The, the downside to it is that it made it more profitable to more people, uh, to net deck because now they just look at last week's legacy decks or, you know, the, the last few weeks and just pick a deck that was in all the top eights from the last month and just play that. And, you know, do you feel like legacy is stale or do you feel like legacy maybe, maybe was negatively affected by, uh, by the open series as much as it was positively affected by getting, uh, gaining so much popularity? 
that's pretty good uh pretty good insight i mean you know when anybody gets a hold of a format or i should say when any large group gets a hold of a format it's going to definitely change the way that that format plays out you know whether that's a casual format like edh or cube or uh, a, a format like uh, even vintage or legacy you know when the masses get a hold of it the uh, mentality around what the good decks are changes you know so the cuter decks like you know um like lands and 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 even like goblins you know, people look at those. I shouldn't say goblins is cute. Uh, it's just not competitive right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people look at those and say, "Well, why why should I be playing that when I can play, you know, Dark Confidants, Stoneforge Mystics, and Delvers, uh, which is essentially you know what the format is." So, without taking two hours to go into an entire legacy thing, <laughs> um, I'll just say that I disagree with the sentiment that the format is stale. Uh, if you go back and look at a lot of the top eights. Um, there certainly are a lot of blue-based um, tempo and control decks that revolve around Tarmogoyf, Snapcaster, Delver, um, and Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that that's just that's just the landscape of the format. That's just the way the format looks. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't be innovative. If you look at the last few top eights, and I actually don't have them in front of me. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting decks that are consistently showing up. Um, Reduke played a mono black pox deck. I that, love that deck. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great deck. It's been written about a few times, and it's actually showed up uh, to, to a couple good finishes. And um, you know, that's one that we had never seen before. Um, another yeah. Ali Antrazi uh, added green to it and uh, and did pretty well. I think he top sixteen last last. Uh event or la- the last legacy open with a deck that was black green pox. Right. Uh, I was actually going to mention Caleb Durward's uh, black green. He wasn't playing pox, mm-hmm. but it was a black green, uh, you know, mid rangey control deck around green sun Zenith that plays very similar to the old survival decks. Oh, uh, wow. And he was one of the, uh, the innovators of that survival list, wasn't he? Like the blue green survival, the fittest decks in legacy. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not 100% sure, but that's, that does sound right. He's he's a very big brewer, um, and, and he's always got a lot of new ideas. Um, but, uh, you know, and then we see things like lands pop up every now and again. I think it's, you know, it's anybody's format. Um, you know, it's card availability does hinder the ability to brew. You know, if I if, if in my collection I, I have four Tundra, four Tropical Island, and a couple Savannas, and then Fetchlands um, – I'm probably going to be less likely to go build aggro loam, you know, which requires you know, all the other dual lands right. and mox diamonds. And, you know, so, you know, if I get an idea, I'm like, well, you know, for instance, faithless looting is, a, is an incredible card that will be uh, good in aggro, aggro loam. Um, and I think aggro loam might see a, a, uh, a small comeback. And, uh, you know, but if you're the kind of guy that you, you've done nothing but play blade decks, you're, you're not going to be able to get $1,200 together to play that deck. So, um, yeah, I agree that there's definitely opportunity for it to be stale, but there is definitely room for innovation, um, as, as illustrated by the last six, uh, legacy top eights. I mean, I think all those decks look different, um, and no matter what format you have, people are going to net deck. It's just convenient. I mean, why, if you don't have time to, to grind a deck, um, why not just pick one that, you know, went nine Oh and two in a, in a legacy event so that you can, 
you know, so that you know that you have tried and tested technology as opposed to trying to, you know, create it yourself from, you know, theory. Right. That's a, I mean, and you brought up a good point about the kind of the card availability thing with legacy uh, and not just really availability so much as the, the cost of the cards is a lot different than the cost to get into a lot of other formats where you, you need things like dual lands. And if you said, all right, I'm getting into legacy. What kind of decks do I like to play? Um, I like playing blue, ba- blue base control. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get some tundras. I'm going to get some underground seas. And that way I can, I can kind of, you know, figure out what I want to play here. And you pretty much, if that's what you can afford and you build that deck, that's the deck you bring every week. And if you're a good player, uh, you, you know, you're in top 16s and top eights and things, and you're always playing the same deck partly because you just don't have the other cards. It's right. not as if, uh, you know, it, it's actually stale. It's a situation where you just don't have those cards to play and the deck you're, you're playing with, you enjoy and you, you do well with it. So why would you bring a different deck? Um, and you know, you're going, okay, well, obviously Stoneforge Mystic is good and I, I have these left over from standard, so I'll play these and you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor, same things like that where, you know, yeah, I was playing, you know, one kind of blue based control deck, but now I have the I also have the cards to make this blade deck, which seems good, so I'll stick with this because I didn't have to really stretch my collection at all. Um so yeah, that's that's another reason why maybe you see a lot of the same decks because you may be seeing a lot of the same players as well. Uh, just, I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but it's... Uh, I actually just have one small thing to piggyback on that. Um, okay. You mentioned Jace the Mind Sculptor. Mm-hmm. The, the format is very cyclical too. Um, you know, a few months ago, it was Natural Order decks. And then a few months before that, it was all Jace decks. And then before that, everybody was playing Ad Nauseam decks. You know, it it goes in rotations, and because Legacy has like the best, I'll say the most um, possibilities with the card pool. Vintage has the biggest card pool, but like it's pretty restricted by the power level of the cards that you need to run. Right. Um, but Legacy, really, you know, we could wake up tomorrow and realize that like the best deck in the format is stacks. You know, just because Chalice of the Void on one stops Delvers and Ponders and brainstorms and all that other stuff from getting played um you know or or you know we had like a a a, a time where every deck was a show-and-tell hive mind deck or or a show-and-tell you know everything was trying to put in emerald people were playing like doomsday to, to get a um you know uh, make a doomsday pile with emerald and i think like right now is the time of the delver um yeah i mean this time last year it was goblins and counterbalance yeah, right. I mean, because that's when I started doing commentary for SCG Live, and that's I went to, you know, uh, San Jose, I believe, uh, Goblins won, and had, it had won the previous week. So Goblins was actually, you know, the deck to beat, and Counterbalance was kind of uh, everywhere, and people were going, oh, no, Counterbalance mirrors, you know? <laughs> it's like, right, right. I'd love to see Counterbalance right now. <laughs> yeah, when's the last time you saw one? I don't, even, I don't even remember one on a feed in, like, the last, you know six months i I can't remember (laughs) so you're right it's very cyclical and you know goblins as you just mentioned isn't very competitive right now but a year ago it was the deck to beat and before that it probably wasn't very competitive but before that it was probably the deck to beat again (laughs) so over and over (laughs) yeah it it kind of it definitely evolves and like you said because of the nature of the format there isn't really a rotation there's only new cards being added uh you know very very rarely do we have cards taken away uh, that it's instead of being 
uh, a format that just completely refreshes every year. We have, you know, this cycle of, okay, we haven't seen natural order in a while. Oh, here's natural order. Oh, here's hive mind. Oh, here's counterbalance. Here's goblins. Here's, you know, whatever. Uh, because those cards are still there. It's just when, when people forget about them, when people stop aiming for them, they, the people that are, uh, that are playing those don't have as many, uh, has many hate cards or hate decks to, to, uh, prey on them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, one more question for you. What's the best deck in modern right now? Do you think? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I like, I like splinter twin a lot. Okay. Uh, I think it's probably the best deck and, uh, Probably give an honorable mention to all the blue-based uh, tempo decks like the Bants and the Rugs. I think those are really, really powerful. But I, I think Splinter Twin is probably the best deck. Is that what you would play, or would you try to play a deck that beats uh, or preys on Splinter Twin? Uh, much like my Burning Vengeance, um, yeah. probably <laughs> I, all of the Splinter Twins and none of the creatures, or all the creatures and none of the Splinter Twins. So. Right try to keep away from those two card combos if i was going to go to a tournament tomorrow i would probably play um something with tarmogoyf and snapcaster probably like a rug deck i think that rug is just uh a great deck you know it has a super fast clock it's very unassuming and um definitely a good choice for uh, a, a wide open format just going to mention some upcoming events, as uh, as we already touched on. This weekend, we have the Star City Games Open Series in Richmond, Virginia, and Dark Ascension is legal, so that'll be uh, be exciting to check out. Um, next weekend, February 11th and 12th, Pro Tour Dark Ascension in Honolulu. Uh, that is really exciting, and at the same time as that, we'll be uh, we'll both be uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, I'll be doing coverage for the Star City Games Open Series there, and, and Cranny, you're gonna you're gonna hang out. You're gonna play. What are you? Uh, are you playing Standard Legacy? I'm just hanging out. I'll probably forego Standard. Um, I am being uh, I'm being peer pressured into playing Legacy on Sunday, so I'll probably be putting together my um, my Esper Counterbalance list that I've been grinding for like you know the last three years uh there we go we just you just set it up perfectly i'll see if i can get you on, on, on the camera and we'll have the first <laughs> counterbalance deck on yeah, camera right. in six months <laughs> i'm sure that's there, there may have been one but you know for for uh you know for the podcast sake we'll just say that'll be the first one in uh, in six months or so yeah <laughs> so uh that's awesome okay um so yeah that's what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks um cranny thank you for for joining me this week i uh Really appreciate having you on the show. Appreciate you having me. Um, do you want to plug your uh, your podcast and uh, any events that you may be running coming up and uh, and your Twitter? Sure, that'd be great. Um, so uh, I, uh, the Ink Attention podcast, uh, we have our Twitter accounts are at Sam Stodd, at Badcore Hardass, and at KStube. And uh, we also have um, a website, InkAttentionMagic.com. And we're doing um, a couple events in February, February 25th and 26th. We're doing back-to-back modern PTQs in Columbus. And we're also running a Star City Invitational Qualifier on Sunday, and so it'll be Legacy. And what was the store again? Uh, Comic Town. Okay. Um, it's not actually at Comic Town. It's at another venue. You can find the info at, like, uh, mtgmom.com or on the Wizards website. Um, that All that information is there. Awesome. And uh, I... Uh, Obviously, uh, shout out to my you know podcasting buddies and a big thanks to you and uh, 
and uh, our absent Big Head Joe for uh, having me on the show. Absolutely. That's everything for this week. We are Yo MTG Taps. Stop bitching, start brewing. We are-